You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies. Hey, everybody. It's the episode that you've been waiting for. Not just the episode of Sanity at the Movies, but the episode of all Warhorn podcasts that I think everyone's that we've been building to. It's finally here. It is upon us. You can... You can... Probably this is going to be the most downloaded episode in all of Warhorn media history. Yep. You should probably... If you put down your phone so you don't drop it with your trembling fingers right now, I know how excited you are to hear... My thoughts, Nathan and I, I'm, of course, Nathan Alberson, your humble and obedient host, Pastor Jacob Benzel over there, his thoughts on Men in Black International, mm. MIBI, MIBA, MIBI, MIBI. <sighs> we were going to do Star Wars <laughs> part two this week, but scheduling didn't work out. Yeah, and we had some trouble. So instead, we're doing a movie that you may not even know exists, probably don't won't remember in six months from now but actually i thought it was pretty good it's fun yeah it was likable yep. i'd say it was the second best of the franchise yeah i don't remember so i saw the third the first one i loved as a kid or whatever whenever that came out teenager mm-hmm. the second one is an objectively horrible movie and i remember sort of liking the third one yeah uh that is all correct i remember seeing the third one specifically in in theaters because I was in, I think it's called, I think it's Moore, Moore, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. There's a place just in and around Norman, Oklahoma. I was there on a mission trip. It's a weird, fun story. I had a friend who was planting a church, and we went to help out with some things uh, when I was leading the college ministry. And I think at that time, they had all of the founders of Abolish Human Abortion in their church. Hmm. But that ended poorly. <laughs> Those guys had been disciplined excommunicated from another church and my friend the pastor of this church was trying to work with them they ended up uh leaving the church and founding an abolitionist church and uh the church might never recovered from it and that's all i'll say about that but um (laughs) anyhow we took a free day and we went to i think it i think the name of the little town in that area is called moore and it has uh i think the largest or it had at that time the largest movie theater screen in the world nice and uh, avengers was in theaters but avengers had already had its run on the major screen Mm -hmm. and men in black three was on that big screen and i had all the college students with me and even though they had all seen and i had seen avengers in theaters and nobody had seen men in black three they all went to the smaller screens to rewatch avengers Mm -hmm. and i went just for the experience of seeing the biggest movie screen in the world mm-hmm. um, and watch Men in Black 3 by myself. Well, there's one thing that I want to see on a, the largest screen possible. It's Josh <laughs> Brolin's face making quips, making deadpan quips. If you Doing don't see that in Tommy, the biggest... Tommy Lee, impersona- <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones impersonation. Well, all, the, know, all the crags in Tommy Lee Jones' face. I dare say that you would have joined me in there rather than rewatching Avengers. Yes, I absolutely would have, if only for the freshness. And yeah, who, you do want to see a big screen. Although I had a bad experience with the big screen one time. I saw the, the that that classic work of cinema, The Matrix Reloaded, on a giant IMAX, like a real IMAX screen. Now, these days, yeah. everything's branded IMAX, but this was back when IMAX meant something, and I went yeah. and saw it in IMAX. And like the action was scenes were cool. The big car chase that everybody remembers was cool. But man, so hard the to... pimples, the uh. little nasty hairs on 
Keanu Reeves face on Lawrence Fishburne's face in major close up with, you know, their face just like filling your entire field of vision. <laughs> like you start to look at their teeth, you start to look at their nose hairs, uh, like it just it, you, you realize that like a movie like Lawrence of Arabia or something is actually designed to be seen on a big screen. Modern movies a lot of times are not actually designed. They're designed to be watched on your TV. Yeah. Well, anyhow, <laughs> I, I don't know how we got off on this, but... Oh, no, because you said it was second best. I think eh, it's probably true. I, I haven't... The one re- that we saw? Yeah, I think I think I don't... I would totally go back and rewatch the first Men in Black. I would not rewatch the second one. I might rewatch the third one because I remember kind of enjoying it and it had a sweet little... Uh, I think I might have even gotten a little emotional, some daddy issue stuff mm-hmm. going on in that thing. But uh, But yeah, so... Well, I think this, this this series goes to prove not everything needs to be a franchise. Not everything. I mean, this is an obvious point I'm making here, but we don't necessarily need sequels. Not everything is an IP. Sometimes everything that's kind of juicy about an idea is squeezed out in one go. Hashtag Ghostbusters. Yeah. The original Ghostbusters does everything that you need a Ghostbusters movie to do. And very similarly, Men in Black is just like an exhaustively good movie. And by exhaustively, I mean like they it have this fun idea about like... What what it, what was this agency like? What's all the humor we can mine out of? Like it's a you think it's this guy, but actually it's the dog. Like they just they yep. do everything. They just like they really squeeze that idea dry. That's what's wonderful about the first Men in Black is it's just like packed full of packed full of everything that you want from all the ideas. Yeah, and they really didn't leave themselves with anything, anything left. To work with. They're just like I, I presume you could come up with a clever and maybe Men in Black Three was the closest to, just because they did time travel, my favorite trope. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's really just nothing, not not a lot left to do. This new one was a pleasant sort of recap of the formula. If you enjoy the formula, you'll like it. I think I liked it. Yeah, decently well. I enjoyed it. There's also a pleasant. Well, I, I just want to say though about that first one. I think I had the VHS as a kid and just like. Watched, watched it every weekend. I've probably yeah. seen that movie about as much as any movie I've ever seen. I really well, loved it. It was a part of that whole, it was a part of Will Smith's great run and, mm-hmm. you know. Fresh Prince, Independence Day. Men in Black. Bad like, Boys wasn't so much on my radar back in the mine, day. Mine neither. But just the same, it was like Will Smith at the top of his game and he was so cool. He was the coolest human being on and the so planet. You, you, you wanted to like absorb his coolness everywhere like it was just fun everything was that he did seemed fun and cool and exciting he just wanted to be a part of it can i can i say something about race um this podcast i i think a movie podcast is a good excuse to talk about all kinds of things so i don't feel bad about these tangents folks things to me this is just my perception it could be completely wrong but these days everything to me feels feels a lot more racially charged than did when i was a kid absolutely when i was a kid we were taught that everybody was equal. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana. Went to school. You know, there were some black kids. There, It wasn't like super racially diverse, but there was a lot of different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And you just had it hammered into you by every like PBS show, by everything, you know, every Saturday morning cartoon that we're all equal. And I don't know, you kind of just believed, believed it. it. Yeah. Like, I don't remember having a problem with, you know, my, my first best friend was a black guy. I know that's like the classic thing that Mine every too, actually. white guilt person says. Yeah, it's know. like the, the funny thing. But His name is RJ Jones. He lived across the street. We played baseball together. It was when my parents were still together. I was three, four, five mm-hmm. years old. Um, and- Lance Easley was a really funny class clown. And 
I just thought he was hilarious. Like he would just still remember laughing more at just like dumb stuff that Lance would do. And I went and saw a new song <laughs> with the Easleys and um, Pastor Easley was he was a pastor and he had a real high pitched voice like this. And I'm not doing like a racial stereotype here. He really did talk like this. And uh, they were just a really fun, cool family. Anyway, I say all that to say Will Smith was the biggest movie star in the world and he was yeah, the coolest person in the absolutely. world. And I don't and remember just wanted to be him. race entering into it. I, uh-huh. I didn't think he was like extra cool because he was black. I, maybe I did a little bit, but he just seemed like the coolest guy on the, on the planet. Like he was just, he was awesome. Yeah. I mean, Independence Day is such a charming performance. So silly now. It's such a obvious pandering star role when you watch it now. Like, he's, we're going to give him all the best lines and have him punch out the alien in a way that yep. completely invalidates the threat Welcome of the aliens. Earth. Welcome to Earth. That's what I call a close encounter. But that's like a huge laugh line from my yeah. childhood. And I remember sitting in the theater with my dad and him being, you know, like almost falling out of his seat at that. And I just, a lot of my fond childhood nostalgic memories are connected to the entertainment provided by Will Smith. Yep. And then it all went to hell with Hitch and... Hitch was, yeah, Hitch Hitch was, was fine. I've actually never seen Hitch. Hitch um, is pretty good, actually. What was I, the superhero one? Oh, yeah, but... It had another, like, one name, name of the guy title, maybe. Yeah. I never saw the superhero one. I can't remember what that was called. Uh, you know what? I don't know why uh, my mind wanted to say Breaking Bad. Yeah. It did, <laughs> and now I'm stuck there, and I can't get out. Yep, I, my hole. mind wanted to say Hitch. Uh, let's see, Will Smith. I'm pretty sure it's the guy's name. Hancock, I knew Hancock, it. It was yeah. another one name, yep. H. I actually saw, said I don't know why my brain went to this the is, breaking This, this is terrible. This is stupid. <laughs> eh, just random neurons. Yeah, Wild Wild West was the actual. Yes, you're right. I blocked that one out of my memory. but Yeah, that was the actual, like, oh, I mean, like, that music video was hot. Like mm-hmm. everybody, Wicka Wicka Wild Wild West, James West, Desperado. <laughs> um, we are the Men in Black Galaxy Defenders. Yeah, well, you know that was cool too. Mm-hmm. And in Big Willie style, the album. But yeah, Wild Wild West was a terrible movie. Turned well, out, turned on the Matrix for it. Bad move. I think he was the celebrity in some ways that taught me not to trust celebrity culture. Like. Will Smith, unfortunately, his brand was so great that it, you really felt like in the mid-90s you could just go see a Will Smith movie and no matter what it was, no matter what the concept was, it was going to be it worth seeing be fun. because it had Will Smith. And Wild Wild West kind of began Deflated. to ruin that idea. <laughs> Deflate. Took, yeah. took a bit pin and <laughs> pop that, burst that bubble. Oh, Will Smith still needs a script and an interesting concept and a reason for his movie to exist. Like, yeah his charisma isn't enough yeah and you put him with kevin klein and they don't have chemistry Chemistry, like it's not funny or good or interesting kenneth branagh's fun in that movie as the legless uh villain yeah that was the one bright spot of that movie as i vaguely recall it selma hayek is the damsel in distress she was a very beautiful damsel in distress not much else to say about her i don't think nope she played a number of beautiful damsels in distress and or damsels that could fire guns and stuff like that in the 90s yeah but that was all the, all of that to say i suppose the original men in black i think they're a generation before us like i they had ghostbusters we kind of had ghostbusters too but yeah, I, didn't, I, had, I think men in black I was sort like of I had ghostbusters yeah i felt like i had ghostbusters too but i felt i think older people don't quite connect to men in black the way that I do like men in black was my ghostbusters in the sense that it yeah. was iconic. I had every line memorized. I could still, well, and I think that, it. I think that that was, you know, part of the difference between 
me and the college kids at that time was like, this is the tallest movie theater in the world. And this is the men in black franchise, which I admit like second movie sucked whatever, but still it's well, it's a Will Smith movie on the biggest screen in, yeah. in the world. Like, but now they got to go watch rewatch Avengers right in a smaller screen in a normal movie theater. It's like, what, when are you going to be in more Oklahoma ever again? And when are you get right? They just didn't care. You know, they just did not care at all. No, I don't know. I mean, is Will Smith, everybody liked that Aladdin movie and liked him in it. I guess everybody knows him. He's still, he's still a draw. The reason why he was cast as genie and it's right. because of what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I'd be interested. A lot of times you, I, I, there's like some juicy piece of, gossip or something that you can kind of connect to it like you'll see like harrison ford for example divorced his first wife and took up with Anne hesh and immediately transformed into a grumpy old man that did things like hollywood homicide and was boring and stupid and lame mm-hmm. and everything and i don't know how connected those things are but they sure felt connected and i tend to think they probably were yeah but will smith defy does de- seem to defy that yeah like I don't know, man. Like he's always been pretty careful about his image. He's always been a family man. That his son slash whatever he is is gone a little wild, but yeah, in a celebrity James, Miley James, Cyrus James kind of a way. Off the rails, yeah. <laughs> but um, but he still manages to maintain a good husband, father, very very clean family uh, image. brand. And even though Jaden feels off the rails, it feels like Jaden still loves and respects his dad. Right. Maybe one day we'll find out some dirty secret, but kind of doubt it because i kind of want to buy i don't know but maybe he's maybe he's bill cosby but yeah who knows who knows but i bought into bill cosby yeah yeah just to take a recent example maybe he's harvey weinstein jake because i don't see color bill cosby (laughs) and (laughs) will smith you know harvey uh, harvey weinstein it's no, not somebody actually, that I ever had a positive image yeah, of no, as yeah. a wholesome father. You're right. Bill Cosby actually is the best <laughs> best analogy. They just happen to be I the mean, same race. Tim Tim Allen, I guess. If yeah, a Tim Allen Tim Allen was always sort of like goofy doofus dad though. Yeah, and Tim Allen went to jail Tom Hanks on a cocaine charge before becoming tool time, before before calling tool home improvement or whatever. Yeah. Tom Hanks. Yeah, I mean Hanks. But he is, doesn't have a father family like that's not his image. His no. image is just like super cool, fun, hilarious old guy who is amazing to work with or something like that, right? Yeah, super fun. Well, it used to be super fun, goofy, leading man, you know, big, yep. splash, yep. all that stuff. And then he somehow, as he got older, he very successfully transitioned into being having enough gravitas to kind of being the, the dignified older statement who's also very warm and likable and fun. Following sort of like the Jimmy Stewart yeah, he is the Protocol. closest thing we have to a Jimmy Stewart. Although, without even looking, I'm going to guess Hanks has probably had multiple marriages and stuff where... I have no idea, but that's part of the images you just don't actually really know too right. much Maybe about. he hasn't. I, uh, lots of maybe he hasn't, but I, I don't... Anyhow, Will Smith... I Well, regardless of what he does in the movies nowadays, he's an uh, awesome follow on social media. Mm-hmm. If you want to follow his Instagram or... What kind of content would you get eat if you follow fun, Will Smith on fun, Instagram? Funny stuff and fun, cute stuff. And it's it's kind of hard to put your finger on a lot of variety. But, you know, him making fun of his kids in a sweet, like, Robert Downey Jr. go to sleep or I'm going to take all your toys kind of, saw all your toy, toys kind of way or mm-hmm. being sweet with his wife or making her angry in a funny way or I don't know. It's cute. It's fun. 
It's he's got funny. great brand management. This Absolutely, guy. the people around him are are he's smart. The people around him are really smart. He may not always pick the best roles, but well, he's one of those guys where it's almost like he's too smart. If you if I wanted to t- sort of take a guess here at why he d- it didn't work, it's almost like you have to at a certain point. You know, there's you have to be smart, and then you have to have instinct. And sometimes you it can be too him. smart and actually overthink your instinct. It's like someone with good instinct goes for the Matrix. Someone who's smart actually goes for Wild Wild West. It's a follow up to Men in Black. It's the same director. It's the same team. You know, yeah. we've just had a huge success. Now we're gonna re- recreate that formula. You know, it makes sense. Your 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 people, your team might very well talk it all over and say, yeah. okay, the best move now is to just get another Men in Black. Type yeah, thing well, in the box. and then the, and then you take it even farther, and it's like think about how sort of progressive and edgy the idea of actually Will Smith can pull off a black cowboy, Jim West, right, and everybody will be happy to mm-hmm. buy what what he's selling, and everybody was happy to buy what he was selling, except the product was trash, right. But we dutifully forked over our money, and yeah, we all went and saw it, and we we weren't gonna think twice about. The idea of this actually, you know, is complicated because it's a historical set piece. Like, we didn't care about that. There's a wonderful quote by Stephen King that I always like where he says, I could literally publish my laundry list. I'm that powerful. I could publish. But he says, what could I publish for my next thing? Exactly. Well, and that that was the trouble with this movie. It didn't have anything to do with... It was a it was a killer power move for him to do it. And I'm sure that probably factored into it. Right. Like, A... Guess what? I'm so I'm I'm so on top of the world. I can go do an old western and be the the black cowboy hero, and y'all are gonna pay for it and y'all are gonna love it because I'm just that awesome. And if it were a good script, it would have worked. We would have, yeah, yeah. But it's um, knowing how to still it, stay humble, and it would have it would have totally like if you think about it from that perspective, like in terms of taking it. a a risk and really trying to solidify your legacy like what a bold move Mm -hmm. and what if that had actually worked but there you sort of start to put your finger on what's wrong with it because at the end of the day you need a script and and what happens to these people a lot of times you know i'm not saying this definitely happened but they get to the point where they think i actually can do it the the x factor is simply me me and the x factor is never you the x factor is your team the x factor is the script that you choose the x factor is all kinds of things but you can't rely on yourself you know it's like I can't think of a good example off the top of my head, but sometimes you'll see, oh, like uh, if anybody remembers that Charlie's Angels movie where- I do the, remember that. I don't b- think I ever saw it, but I remember it. Oh, I saw it, buddy. The What's his face? Bill Murray plays the comic relief in that movie, and he's kind of funny, but you can also tell they didn't write anything for him. <laughs> they just said, we have Bill Murray. He can just do stuff. And it's like, Bill Murray is funny. He's a good improvisational, like he can come up with funny stuff, but- it still really helps if you give him a role to play and something yep. to do. You know, if you give him something okay, he'll make it great. But if you give him nothing, it's hard to make nothing into something. So Independence Day was ninety six. So, so Fresh Prince ends in ninety six, mm-hmm. right? That year, Independence Day drops. Boom. Nineteen ninety seven, Men in Black drops, and then and so does Millennium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like which was a huge album if people don't remember crazy and then he did enemy of the state and then he did wild wild west and then we take a minute and then we come back with bagger vance and ali mm-hmm. and then men in black 2 
<laughs> and then Bad Boys 2. Then iRobot, Shark Tale, which was like the biggest flop in the middle of all a whole bunch of really successful. Yep. Then Hitch, which I like. Pursuit of Happiness, which I really like. Never seen it. Presumably I would like it if I did. But these were these were two like and Pursuit of Happiness especially was more like I'm transitioning to a more older fatherly sort of role. Right. Then I Am Legend and Hancock. I Am Legend was pretty good as I recall. I remember liking it. But it's sort of like Castaway. Yeah, and it felt very it felt very much like a star vehicle. There wasn't a lot that was in, really re- interesting about it. Seven Pounds, which I didn't don't even know. I do, and it sounds really stupid. I've not seen it. But. Men in Black 3, then After Earth. Yeah, Focus. I haven't seen that. That's him and Margot Robbie, is that? Yeah, I, I remember hearing about that, but I did not yeah. see that. I, I don't know. It's always interesting with these kinds of guys, too, is... Concussion, is it, suicide, concussion which was uh, him yeah. trying to win, do some Oscar bait that didn't pay off. And then Suicide Squad and Bright. Oh. And now Aladdin. Well, you kind of see this trend. I mean, again, who knows what's really going on behind the scenes, but you see like he keeps trying to sort of get outside the bounds of just being an entertainer. You know, you have Ali, Bagger Vance, neither of which was a huge success, both of which were interesting and have their fans. But those are both him really trying like, hey, I'm serious now. And people are like, nope. And he's like, okay, here's Hitch. Here's this. Here's that. Here's a Men in Black sequel. Give me some money. And then he tries again with concussion. And again, doesn't really quite work movie may have its fans but it wasn't like a big breakout thing that just enabled him to do serious roles it's a hard transition to make you see people like um jennifer lawrence trying to do it right now you know you see um when somebody's in their 20s and they hit it big like in a superhero kind of a thing um well the the perfect example which is kind of funny the scuttlebutt right now is that what's his face radcliffe daniel radcliffe is gonna play wolverine yeah and uh what has daniel radcliffe done he got really successful and made all the money in the world never has to work again because he's he is the boy who lived himself harry potter yep and then what does he do he chooses these interesting indie kind of things and really tries to establish himself like all he's doing is hey i'm not harry potter like right i was harry potter now i'm like now i'm awesome now i'm an artist yes exactly <laughs> and everyone's like harry potter was fun he, he tried pretty hard it was adorable how he tried to act in that <laughs> it's not oh, look, really they cast harry potter as wolverine that's weird <laughs> right and so yeah you know you could almost feel like maybe um he's like okay fine let me let me try and just do a big franchise thing to sort of elijah wood same thing elijah wood's actually been pretty successful in using his lord of the rings movie to just movie money to just fund weird horror films and indie stuff and i actually enjoy where elijah wood's taken his his career Pattinson was big. Robert Pattinson got big in the Twilight, playing Sparkly Edward, and then um, Cedric D- Diggory in the in Harry, Harry Potter, Potter, kind of a one-two punch there uh, of crazy fan service. And, and now he he did the same thing. Now he's the Batman. Well, yeah, he did a bunch of indie stuff to try and establish some credibility, and then they came along with Batman, and uh, we'll, and, we'll and, see how it works. And people are, I mean, there are a lot of Robert Pattinson defenders out there who say that if you know. Like the people who know say he's got real chops and we should expect an iconic, surprising Batman performance on the level of, I see, I've just seen a lot of people compare it to casting Heath Ledger as the Joker mm-hmm. as, you know, here is this like very similar path of like oh, yeah. hunkish, like 10 we, things I, I play, hate about you. I play, yeah, 10 things I hate about you. These dumb rom-com, the night, night's tale, night's tale and, yeah. night, and you know, and then he goes off and 
when he the Patriot with Mo Gibson, and, mm-hmm. and then he's going to come back and go all method and yeah, give us a completely fresh take on the Joker. Yep. Yeah. Well, and he did. You know, that's what that's 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 what everyone dreams of. They, they don't dream of what happened to Heath Ledger right after that, but exactly, they yeah. dream of just finding that role that will allow you to completely redefine transcend. your persona and, and transcend it. Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio is an example of this whole thing done right. He's been Absolutely. really smart. And what he did is he attached himself to Martin Scorsese, and that was a really smart, smart thing, to, thing do. to do. You find somebody that, that – I think that's an example of what I'm talking about where I think maybe Will Smith went wrong. You just always need to understand that it's not just about you. It's about your collaborators, and it's about yeah. the people that are going to make you look good. And so DiCaprio did first Gangs of New York, and his performance isn't that great in that. But then he did The Aviator, and then he did uh, Shutter Island, and then he did this and that. And he actually grew, and you can kind of feel like, you know, he just said, Scorsese, I will let you make popular movies because my name sells tickets if you'll help me be an artist. Yeah. Um, and it was a really good thing for both good men. Move. Yeah. That's the way to do it smart. The, the other person that I think has done it pretty smart, although he made one mistake, which was to jump on Oprah's couch. Tom and Cruise, it baby. ruined him. Yeah. But Cruise is always really smart about the team that, that he picked. That was actually, you know, the only dumb thing about jumping on Oprah's couch was the timing. Yeah. In in history. Mm-hmm. Like, it, he is, that thing is like the first viral video ever. Yeah. It is like, actually, literally like. It is lit, like if you look up the history of viral videos, right, and YouTube and whatever, like that was what made YouTube a thing. That's if what he had made done viral the year videos before, a thing. It would have been fine. It would have passed off. Would have been under the radar, no problems. And he would have everybody watching Oprah at the time would have thought he was super charming, mm-hmm. but, which they did, by the way. Which I mean, they did. Everybody there and everybody watching, I thought it was super charming. But you know, the right person takes the clip out of context and you know asks the right question or puts it spins it the right way mm-hmm. and now he's a baddie weirdo crazy scientologist basically yep. which he is by the way but he had managed to conceal the keep fact everybody from noticing <laughs> that <laughs> he got exposed everybody learned the lesson of tom cruise yeah all because he all because he jumped over a couch because he was excited about his girlfriend or whatever um but his and he was playing to the crowd about yeah it. yeah which he which he's a master of generally speaking but his trajectory was he is the template for what everybody does now because he, he got big with some sort of silly roles, cocktail, Top Gun, stuff like that. And then he just began to find interesting directors, Oliver Stone with Born on the Fourth of July, Paul Thomas Anderson with Magnolia, and work with these people. And then he jumped on the couch and everybody thought he was a crazy Scientologist. Since then, he still works with interesting people and still gets good co- collaborator- collaborators. Brad Bird, Mission Impossible 4, J.J. Abrams, Mission Impossible 3, Christopher McQuarrie for the last two yeah. and the next one. These are all smart, talented people that are bringing a lot to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about that that you may have noticed is that they're all Mission Impossible movies, and Tom Cruise has just retreated into playing These it big safe. big blockbuster roles. Um, that are going to sell. Anyway, you can, you can tell we're really excited about talking about this <laughs> <laughs> Men in Black <laughs> International. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned the actual cast of this movie. Well, let's talk a little bit about Men in Black International. Uh, I, I will say I, I enjoyed the movie. I, I, I had fun with it. I thought it was it had not a lot of laughs, but it's kind of like a light Marvel movie. Yeah, it was pretty. I think it was pretty fun. I thought Camille Nanjiani was. I thought. I, I was going to roll my eyes at his character, but I thought he actually had some good moments. Yeah, he was fun. He plays the little, if you've seen the trailer, he's the little uh, little Funny. alien creature. 
What is it? Pawnee. Yeah. So we should just tell people this movie. I guess pe- most people know it stars Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth from Thor Ragnarok. Both of them. Yeah. They have a lot of chemistry in that movie and they're a lot of fun together. And so yeah. very much just sort of like, hey, Taika Waititi found a really awesome team here mm-hmm. and figured out how to bring out the best in them. Let's let's see if we can ride this and revitalize a whole new franchise with it and a put them at the center franchise. of it. Yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's a test run for can this duo bring us the star the star power to you know and apparently a failure didn't, didn't make money. It didn't. No, it didn't. It did okay internationally, but it, it was pretty weak uh, domestically, and the audience score isn't that great. I was a little surprised that people didn't like it. I actually liked it okay. I didn't think it was anything. It was like a good kind of movie that comes on TV and you watch with your dad on a Saturday, a lazy Saturday afternoon or something like that. Have some fun with it. It's yeah. fun. I think, did we already say, I think I'd say it's probably the second best of, 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 a, of a franchise that never should have existed. This movie shouldn't exist, but given that it does... Yeah, and people are going to rake me over the coals, by the way, Jake, for atta- going on the so viciously on the attack against Aladdin, and then giving this thing a pass. Yes, they are, which is completely <laughs> fair. But <laughs> I can only feel the way that I feel. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I, the difference with you is often just expectations, and you wanted Aladdin to be transport you to a whole new world, a whole new world. Yeah, say. and instead it was in well, the space no. alien movie. You, you know what? That's, that's, that's actually fun. false. That's actually false. I wanted Aladdin to transport me to the same old world the same old world (laughs) i remembered from my childhood but instead it was new and homogenized (laughs) and had no flavor of mystic orient i actually it actually made me appreciate what i really love about the old 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 Aladdin. i know we talked about this last time or a couple times ago but i dare say if people are listening to this they've probably listened to our take on that yeah 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 but the thing is i don't know I don't know what the difference is. I'm, I'm going to try and justify this. Aladdin felt like maybe uh, there's, just, there's just no way to save myself here. I think I'm I think I'm sunk. People, are I think I tried me. to save you, and then you and then spit I spit on it. I spit on it. Yeah. Well, how did you try and save me again? What I said is, uh, you expected it to take you. It, your expectations were just higher for Aladdin, so you had set a higher standard for it. You wanted it to be. But the interesting of, thing is that Men in Black is a movie that I remember a lot more fondly than. Aladdin. So you'd think that. But you think of it as a genre piece and not as a transportive Disney musical. Yeah, that's true. I I, I want more. You think of it as a quirky, fun comedy that isn't supposed to have any substance or anything about it except for quippy lines and charming performances. Well, it's also kind of maybe that I, I already died to the franchise, like Men in Black 2. I hate that movie, and it so thoroughly ruined any d- appetite for Men in Black that even Men in Black 3 just kind of felt like, okay, it's nice that they're trying again. Yeah. Um, and it was cute. It was fun. But this one, it's like, it's something that has already been so degraded and deformed and is so not what I remember that Man, I And that second movie is disgusting. It's really bad. It's mean-spirited. It's, 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 it's nasty. It's just mean. Like, I don't remember it that well but it's just it's not funny it's so bad it's and they're obviously not trying and smith is not charismatic in that movie actually it just feels like such a paycheck for everybody involved and i hope that they all paid a nice mortgage on a nice house in the hollywood hills somewhere but tommy lee jones got to add some steers to his ranch that i like to imagine he probably keeps (laughs) in texas or something like that that's what kevin costner wants you to think he does 
Yeah, <laughs> very true. Tommy Lee Jones doesn't care what you think about him. No, that's the cool thing about Tommy Lee Jones. And we really should have Brandon here because I'm pretty sure his dad has either met or found himself in the same diner with Tommy Lee Jones. So next time we have Brandon on, we'll have to ask him about his Tommy Lee Jones, the vaguely Tommy Lee Jones adjacent story that he has. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, I think okay, you've, you've, you've helped me figure it out. Disney is a brand that I still really respect, actually. And I've more or less liked their remakes. And I don't think that... I think Disney's actually not trampled their legacy. I know people say they have. I think they've been pretty smart about it. And I still love a big, bold Disney musical. And I love musicals in general. And I love fairy tales. And that's like... just Aladdin is everything I like. And so I kind of hold it to a high standard, rightly or wrongly. I suppose most of our listeners will say wrongly, perhaps. But poor, poor, pitiful me. Um, (laughs) Men in Black, it's like... They already ruined it a long time ago. If this movie manages to squeeze a little fun. If I end up not resenting and falling asleep over the next hour and a half to two hours, then I'm happy. Yeah, it'll be nice. I'll I'll eat some sour M&Ms or what are those things? Sour Skittles, Skittles. With, my, with my girlfriend and it'll be fine. And it was. Thompson and uh, Hemsworth were a fun duo and... Did you think that they were reasonably charismatic? Did they bring the Thor charm? Thor I thought, Ragnarok, I, thought, I, I, I should say, they, one of our favorite Marvel movies. Yeah, I think it is one of my, probably a, right up, I don't know what, top three maybe. I, if I'm going to, I'd say it, if, if you're going to count which one would I watch again, which one do I watch again as then my favorite. Then it's probably the top. Then it is my favorite. Yeah. It's the most rewatchable of yeah. all of them. That's for sure. May not mean it's objectively the best. Well, it also sure. demands less of you. Like, exactly. if it's some Friday night and you're just burnt out, you don't want to like is is much in no a movie. No way. Or even a, an objectively really solid movie like Spider-Man: Homecoming requires more emotion from you. Robert Downey Jr. being a good daddy and yeah, or Winter Soldier. Or, yeah, or or even Civil War. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're just gonna go and have some fun, and it's Thor Ragnarok, and a lot of it is that chemistry and mark ruffalo and tom hiddleston add a lot to that and jeff goldblum being out there and off the wall add a lot to that Mm -hmm. but it was you know it was hemsworth and thompson that were awesome together and that that was exciting and what got these guys excited about casting them in a in men in black and i think they did both i think they are both charming charismatic actors and they brought a lot of that to what were was a pretty underdeveloped script and some pretty flat characters yeah there wasn't much to go on in terms of who they were they actually had to bring a lot and by that metric i suppose they did but it still landed somewhat flatly simply because there just wasn't wasn't a lot there there. yeah and there was some weird stuff like some weird like did they just not finish writing this script or did something get cut out like well yeah it was just really sort of like you know are we uh I was trying to, I was explaining this, my thoughts on this earlier to you, but the the whole idea that we're going to both play with the idea of Hemsworth's character as, is he a mole? Is he a part of the Borg or whatever we call it, the hive? Uh, the hive. So the whole idea of the movie, the conceit for people who haven't seen it, which is presumably everyone listening to this, yes. is that there's a mole in MIB. And so... And Tessa Thompson's uh, character is brand new and fresh. We know we can trust her. She came off the streets... She's fresh and she's at the center of it and she gets trusted with a MacGuffin and she doesn't know who to trust, but she's paired up tightly with Chris Hemsworth. And we know that Chris Hemsworth's character and Liam Neeson's character had fought this enemy before, Mm -hmm. but we didn't get to see what happened. And so we have 
we probably definitely know that Liam Neeson is definitely Hive. And if we're smart enough to think about it, well, there are three characters. If they're going that they... to relaunch the brand, then they can't kill Chris Hemsworth, and I don't think he can be come back from the Hive. So I think that he's probably not. But they're trying to play with. Well, the... they they present three characters. There's Chris Hemsworth, and they kind of want you to ask the question. And then there's this guy. Well, I think his name is Red Harrington. Yes, he's, just, he's, like, <laughs> he's, he's like this. He's like this guy that's mean to them, and I hate the people that you like. <laughs> I'm a bureaucrat that's in your way. I cause problems for everybody that's fun and charming. Right, and then I peer suspiciously through my glasses. Oh, it must be him, <laughs> old <Yep>. Red Harrington. <laughs> he's He's a really well-developed character. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I thought that actually, yeah, that actor did a nice job. He did with a nice job. With, yeah, I, I, I liked, I liked him. And then you have Liam Neeson, and I think we're just uh, spoilers, folks. There's this. Roger Ebert has something called the law of economy of character, and the law of economy of character asks, begs the question: Why is someone in a movie? And you can ask it about an actor, like why is an actor in a movie? Why did Liam Neeson sign on to do this nothing role? as the mentor that's hardly in it well turns out he's actually the bad guy could it be because he's got a big bad guy speech at the end you know you can you can I, you can predict yeah almost 100 percent of movies just using this rule like why why are we spending so much it's, it's either the actor or even just the way they set up the character why are we spending so much time with this pharmacist in this serial killer movie like this yeah. we're, we're spending a lot of time at the pharmacy talking to this pharmacist who doesn't seem that important but they cast an actor that's like a good actor to play the pharmacist like it must just be because they wanted to write good scenes for the farm no it's because he's the killer yep the only way to really avoid that is your agatha christie style everybody's suspicious which i guess they kind of lamely tried to do in this it is one. what they tried to do like they even they didn't really play too much with the idea that it could be thompson but you sort of like emma really, thompson it, or tessa a, thompson Huh? Emma T- Thompson or T- Tessa? Tessa Thompson. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they also played the idea really low-key, subtly at the end that Emma Thompson and Liam Neeson were a thing. And right. the whole reason Emma Thompson's in New York is because there are rules. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, part of, so part of the problem that I think actually inhibited Thompson and Hemsworth from having the chemistry that they needed to sell the movie is that you had to be suspicious they kept seeding suspicion of Hemsworth. Right. Like, he's not the same as he was. I don't trust him. I don't blah, blah, blah. You know, they didn't bother writing compelling reasons why he would be those things apart from plot reasons. Like, no, they didn't. He had a relationship that went bad on him or something, and that was supposed to explain all of his irrational behavior. behavior. And it really didn't. Like, No, it was just like, he just like, he's sort of, and the other thing that is maybe a, a little off-putting is just how debauched his character kind of was. Yeah, they they have him wake up with an alien octopus lady at one point, kind of a Captain Kirk style. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was bribed into it, or black. He was sort of bribed into it by you know his life being on the line. Yeah, yeah. trading sexual favors is for for, uh, life. for life is is always is a <laughs> not a, any kind of a real life issue that anyone's talking about right now or anything that we should <laughs> care about. Just being a light entertainment in our movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Hollywood is hypocritical, folks. That's the satirical point I'm making with my scintillating sarcasm there. Yeah. Um, Anyhow, so what they actually want to try to pull at the end is like, actually, there's been this like slow burn romantic thing between Thompson and Emsworth that you're supposed to feel bad about them not being able to be with each other now and not being able to bring 
healing and emotional balance to each other's lives the way that they had as partners, but they actually never accomplished that. It, it, they just sort of like said at the end that that's what happened. Like all of a sudden you have this scene and it's like, hey, he was emotionally imbalanced, mm. but he found stability working with her and she was emotionally closed off and she opened up working with him and there's a budding romance here. Now we have to separate them because we can't have that. Like they just said that, but they never gave it to you and they couldn't give it to you throughout the whole film because you couldn't, she couldn't trust Hemsworth and she had all kinds of reasons not to. And they had, you know, this one scene where he was a little poetic at night right. under the stars, but like, well, well, the funny thing about all that is, I think our brains are programmed for pattern recognition. And so we see movie after movie after movie with these cliches, you know, the, the partners that become lovers, you know, Scully and whatever his name was, her name was uh, Mulder. Mulder, Mulder and Scully. And, uh, you know, just the, this, this dynamic. And we see movies where like the guy is the loose cannon that, you know, is being dressed down by his superiors. And yep. so we see that over and over and over again. And then at a certain point, screenwriters think that they can just hit those beats without providing compelling reasons Yep. for and you'll just go along with it and the interesting thing is you kind of do yeah like me and jake both said we enjoyed this movie it basically kind of works and you kind of enjoy each thing in the moment if you hadn't been trained to accept those beats or to know those beats and to fill in gaps for yourself then if you were a visitor from another planet who'd never watch a movie you'd be so confused by the way that this story progresses because it just assumes so much of this is what happens in movies Yep. You know, it's kind of the, the the funny example that I always think of is, you know, in your average spy thriller, James Bond, Jason Bourne kind of thing, the two beautiful people will find themselves in a hotel after fleeing from the bad guys and then they will make love. And we're always just supposed to accept that that's what two beautiful people do, no matter whether they have any kind of chemistry or connection or character development or time to even get to know each other. Yep that's just what happens in movies and we've been so trained that apart from just turning off our brains to the awful fornication we also just accept the plot convention of two sexy people are gonna do this if they find themselves and this movie was rife with with not wicked things like that but just plot points that were kind of like this is what happens in movies so fun fact when's the last time you've heard a movie use the word fornicate men in black international that's right like that was the interesting. One and only time I've ever heard that. I maybe, can, yeah, maybe the only time remember. I've ever heard it. Yeah, the word fornicate in a movie. Yep. Well, does that lead us to the final and real point we wanted to talk about about this movie? Sure. Is there, is there anything else to say about the movie in general? It was kind of fun. It was. It was fun. Yeah. It could have been better. There could have been better chemistry, but they brought chemistry and charm of their own accord. I thought the special effects sequences were reasonably pretty fun, exciting, and fun, and well done. Nothing. Yep. Nothing special but yeah is a good good saturday afternoon time waster if, if you think you might like it you probably will if you're not interested if you've t- tuned out on that franchise this is not a time to jump back in it's not gonna win you over if you don't think you'll already like it nope so that's all there is to say about the movie hemsworth and T- thompson i think both very talented people that can go on to things there's maybe one more thing worth saying mm-hmm. which is this uh, i'll just point this out for people you may have had an unarticulated discomfort with the dynamics between Thompson and Hemsworth. Mm -hmm. But there is a sense in which they're playing on old stereotypes, but they are also inverting them where Thompson was, she's beating the crap out of the bad guy. And we keep cutting. And he's actually the eye candy. Mm -hmm. He's the eye candy babe who, while he is the sort of like the roguish leader, you know, 
Han Solo, who's going to be in charge of all of MIB by the time he's done, like he still sort of like feels like her sidekick Mm -hmm. um, because of his instability. And there is no, absolutely zero eye candy moments with Tessa Thompson. She's conservatively dressed in her black suit. She's mm-hmm. not. There's nothing scandalous about anything. She there's could not walk into church and nobody would bat an eye. You know, she's just buttoned up to the top button. Mm-hmm. You know, but with Hemsworth, we're gonna get you know shirtless scenes and his shirt being unbuttoned halfway down his chest, and you know we're we're gonna get him out of the suit and into some super tight pink pants, and we're gonna. Like, it's a fascinating double standard, and it's fascinating to compare it to twenty years ago, yeah. and to think how offended people would be now if you just if you swapped the sexes of the two leads. I mean, down to the thing we were just talking about the the scene where uh, Hemsworth is forced to trade sex for survival. Yep. That's that's rape, and everybody would call it rape yep. if it was a woman character that had to do that. Even though that's the kind of thing that twenty years ago, even you'd see a movie where. They're the emotionally unbalanced woman that works for the organization that's there to be eye candy and there to follow the new hero around as the hero learns the ropes and Mm -hmm. they might put something in like uh, trading sex. And now we've just swapped it and we're supposed to pat ourselves on the back about that. Yeah. I don't think it was good that we used to do it to women. Don't, don't misunderstand me folks. Yeah. But, but it, and it seems like uh, Hemsworth's the kind of guy that's sort of happy to take those sort of, well, that's been the entirely defining thing about his career is that he, he just accepts the fact that he exists to be eye candy or something like that. Yeah, he plays great bimbos, basically. Yeah. I mean, he's like, I don't know what you, he's like the Elizabeth Hurley was growing up or I don't know who it would be, but um, I, I don't even want to try and remember. But he, he. Well, we had the slow motion. There, the, There's also the slow motion scene of him. Right. Right. Like you have like you know, aliens who can apparently alter time, Mm -hmm. slowing him down and reversing him and zooming in on his smile and his, you know. Again, imagine that scene done with a woman and how distasteful everybody would find it. Yeah. And and remember the fact that just 20 years ago, they would have done that scene with a woman and (laughs) everyone would have been like, me and Jake, little, you know, whatever teenaged me and Jake would have been, that would have been our favorite part of the movie. Right. Because those scenes work. And they work with Hemsworth. I mean, yep. sadly, you can you can say that women aren't designed. He is a man who is tall and handsome and who knows that his brand is his body and has carefully cultivated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he played the bimbo. I didn't actually watch watch it, but I've seen enough clips and stuff in that Ghostbusters reboot abomination yeah. thing. He played the funny secretary bimbo. bimbo. Secretary. I mean, it's literally like a cliched female role. Yeah. And even he had like... He had like secret side model pics that they find in his desk of him posing shirtless or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Well, yeah, and I think there's like scenes of them all like, hmm, you know, right. look at that. Like, yeah, it's just like, anyhow, what we actually wanted to talk yeah. about, I thought that was worth talking about. Yeah, no, for I, think, I think I'm glad you brought that up. Absolutely worth talking about. That's the kind of, it's the kind of thing that seems obvious, but I was just marveling earlier today about somebody who, They might be listening, so I'm not going to be very specific, but they watched a movie about a fatherless kid. The whole point of the movie is fatherless kid finds a father figure Mm -hmm. and a mentor while after he moves to a place and, you know, wants to feel accepted. That's the movie. Right. And it occurred to him that this movie was about fatherhood, actually. Yeah. And he thought that was very deep and insightful. 
and and so did his followers on social media. Right. And I just thought, wow. well, you know, like is that the level of insight that we have? People aren't really aren't accustomed to thinking in the most simple terms about the entertainment they watch and the stories that they see. Mm-hmm. And it really is important to say that ob- all of the obvious things, I think, sometimes. Anyhow. Anyhow. Your son, not everything is obvious to him because he's an 11-year-old. 11? 11, he yeah. He saw the 11 movie. and a half. Uh, so here's the thing. We were going to do the Star Wars thing, and then we're like, we can't. And Ben's out of town and the honeymoon and stuff. And mm-hmm. Brandon's whatever. out. And Brandon's, Brandon's busy. And so Nathan's like, well, we gotta, we need to do something. And I already have plans to go see Men in Black for fun. And so can you slip it in? And then I thought maybe it wasn't going to happen. So I didn't see it till yesterday. But <laughs> yesterday being Father's Day. Yesterday being Father's Day is horrible. Um, so Jake is tasked with seeing Men in Black International by himself on Father's, on Father's Day. Day. Yeah. And I was just not happy about that. So I took a risk. I grabbed my oldest son, Peter. And said, hey, let's go see this movie. And so I took him to it. And I think it's probably PG-13, I'm assuming. Yeah. So we watched it. And I expected him to just think, man, I got to go see a movie, just me and dad. And it was, I was just prepared to laugh. And it was Thor. And, you know, that was all funny and exi- fun and exciting. And so he came out of the theater. And I expected him to just accept it and think it was great and fun. And he did not like it. And... So we got to talking about it, and I started to ask him why. And there's uh, the, there's a scene pretty early in the movie, first act or beginning of the second act. I can't mm-hmm. really remember, can't really place it, but pretty early on, probably beginning of the second act. And uh, and it's a club scene, and it's like aliens in a club dancing, and everything about that whole scene was so off putting to him that it basically ruined the movie for him. And so uh, we started talking about it, and. It, I asked him why he didn't like it. He can't really explain it to me, what he didn't like about that scene. I I think I know why he doesn't like it. But, you know, I say to him, you know, look, it's important. You know, sometimes your intuitions or your feelings about these things are right, and it's important for growing in discernment that you learn how to say, understand, articulate what makes you uncomfortable or what makes you think something's weird or what you don't like about it. He's like, well, it was just weird. And so I say, okay, let's talk about what was weird about it. Was it weird because it was just like weird, gross aliens, or was it weird because it felt bad? It was weird because it felt bad. So like morally bad? And he's like, yeah. Like sinfully bad? He's like, yeah. Okay, let's see if you can name sins. And so he thinks about it for a while, and he can't come up with anything. So I say, okay, well, let's just run through the Ten Commandments. We run through the Ten Commandments together. And he thinks about it for a minute, and he says, well... The two sins that I think they are is uh, graven images and coveting. <laughs> uh, well, that is really interesting and not what I expected you to say. Just take a step back and say, it's just like kind of your standard rave scene with a bunch of sexy people. Not too provocative by my standards, at least. Yeah. Dancing and um, the plot conceit is that there's this alien guy, this important ambassador dude who wants to party with and, and has had traditionally partied with Chris Hemsworth's character. And they just have to keep him happy or else his people are going to blow earth up or something. And so Chris Hemsworth kind of jokingly offers Tessa Thompson to yep. him 
Um, and she's just saying, no, you know, I'm not going to be. She's super offended and he thinks it's hilarious. And I'm not some sexual favor for this dude. You think you know? I'm going to fornicate with an alien. Yeah. She, that's where she says the word fornicate. Yeah. And he just thinks it's hilarious that he's put her in an awkward position, but also everybody watching knows that this isn't going to actually happen. Right. It's just the jokes on Thompson. Cause she doesn't know what to think she's new to the field. Right. And she's kind of a straight arrow and. Hemsworth's the kind of guy that's gonna like know how the actual on the streets world works and yeah it's that whole thing you've seen it a million times and yeah so he comes up with uh graven images and coveting and so I asked him to explain it and he said well everybody in that whole club wanted everybody else to worship them Hmm. and everything they were doing was about wanting to be worshipped and to be at the center of attention. And so everybody was just sort of like fighting to be worshipped. So that was his explanation of graven images. And uh, and then coveting because of the same thing. He just saw the connection of desiring everybody's attention and mm-hmm. wanting to be the one that everybody else likes. To. He felt that he felt it all on that level. And so then we talked about that for a minute. And then we took it. I took it a step farther and I said, well, there's a, you know, there's another uh, commandment that is underlying all of this, and it's the it's the commandment: you shall not commit adultery. And for a little bit of background on this, so uh, I just had I just a few days before I've had had the talk with Peter, and uh, listeners might be scandalized by how old he is, and some might be scandalized by how young he is because of our church community, because I've been pretty careful because of his school. For those of you who are scandalized by how old he is, Peter's actually been, and because I think of the innocence of his mind, and you know, I think there are other kids I might have to have that talk earlier with, but he's sort of a space cadet. Jake's not being a doting dad. The culture around here is one that is just. I've probed many times on this, and and even when we had this. So here's how the conversation. So I. I decided it was about it was time to have it because he's going into the middle school youth group and mm-hmm. he's going to start dealing with people who are dealing with these sorts of things even if he's not. Um, but even then, you know, I ask him, he has no idea, like just has no idea what sex is or anything like that. But in God's kindness, it came up actually really naturally because he was, I don't even remember how we were having this call. It was like, for some reason, all the other kids were in bed and... Maybe we had gotten home from a baseball game or something like that a little late. I don't know what the deal was. or, But it was just like me and him and Amanda. And then he was talking about, oh, it was his first night at youth group. Hmm. It was after his first night of youth group. And we came home and he had uh, the youth leader give, give him a little questionnaire. And we talked about some of the questions that were on it about what does it mean to, you know, some of the questions were like, have you been baptized? Are you are you a Christian? Are you from a Christian home? Are you, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. We just were talking about that. We ended up talking about sin. And he just asked the question. He said, in in talking about his sins to me, it was really sweet. I was surprised, not surprised, but it was just sweet how well he knew his sins. But then he just said, volunteered, but the the one command that's always confused me is adultery. And I, I just don't know if I've, violated or or not like i don't know Uh like (laughs) i feel bad i don't know (laughs) how to obey that command (laughs) 
And so I was just like, all right, let's talk about that. So we did. We talked it through and talked through the birds and the bees and all that other fun stuff, special hugs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it was really sweet. And uh, he went to bed saying, man, I'm going to have weird dreams tonight, (laughs) which was pretty fun. (laughs) Um, Another dad in the the church had just, it was close friend of mine had just done the same thing and his son's response is, is there any other way? <laughs> Anyhow. So I, I just was, I just went ahead and made the connection to our, our conversation a couple of days before. And, uh, you know, the desire to have what's not yours, the desire to have that outside of the context of marriage. It's what drives all of these things. It's what drives the vanity and the desire to be worshiped and, those kinds of clubs. I know this was like an alien club in a in a movie, but those clubs are real. Mm-hmm. They're in our town, and people go to them, and they go to these parties, and that's what they're looking for. And it's right for you to feel bad about it, and it's right for things like that to ruin a movie for you, even mm-hmm. because it's a wicked world, and the evil in it should vex our hearts, and the evil in it should vex our hearts, and. You know, the movie movies like that want to treat it like it's not a big deal, and it is a big deal. So anyhow, it ended up being a really great conversation that came out of it. So not saying you should take your uh, <laughs> your kids to see this movie in order to try to have those kinds of conversations, but... Well, it was convicting for me when you told me that, because it's like, man, what is the level of garbage and sin? Not to... I mean, this is a movie podcast. We like movies. We like this movie, actually. Okay. But what is the level of just filth that... I just accept without even thinking about it mm-hmm. because it's just so ubiquitous that yeah. I'm just completely desensitized. Um, and it made me remember certain things that were off-putting to me as a kid that it would no longer hardly register. Actually, one of them, interestingly enough, the very first time I saw Indiana, the Indiana Jones movies, I saw Last Crusade first. I just thought it was the coolest movie I'd ever seen. So funny, so charming. So, and the sex stuff, that movie's actually kind of dirty. It's got the little subplot with um, Indiana's and dad son, yeah. and all that junk. But that just went completely over my head. I think yeah, we fast same. forwarded the Ah uh, Venice scene and I just like, I did not, I just didn't realize that's what was happening at all. Mm-hmm. Um, just missed it completely. I think I may even have a vague memory of my dad being offended by something and just being like, what? This movie's awesome. But then we watched them out of order. So then we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that movie, there was just something there that felt very adult in a way that was not fun. Mm-hmm. And now it's one of my favorite movies. But actually, the first time I saw it as a little kid, it kind of felt there was something that kind of was off putting about. And it wasn't, you know, I didn't quite get it. But I understood that Indiana Jones had been friends with Marion's dad. Mm-hmm. and that they'd had then he'd had a relationship and he'd left her and you know she says i was a child and you know it's supposed to be this very it's an idiot pagan young man steven spielberg and george lucas's idea of what is kind of cool and adult and mm-hmm. whatever but it was it was bothersome uh, another one that i think was just a bogus movie that i don't know why everybody f- remembers nostalgically but they do to a person this robin hood uh prince of thieves yeah um <laughs> had a big subplot about lust and rape and everything like that and it was pretty on the nose you know it wasn't like yeah. peter getting a rape scene and have feeling bad it was like yeah nasty stuff that was meant to be nasty yeah but and it made me feel nasty as a kid yeah 
but but i remember having that very weird disorienting feeling that i think peter may have felt of like this thing was intended to entertain me it's supposed to entertain me i want to be entertained it's the kind of thing that does entertain me generally and that i like and yet there's a thing in it that just made me feel bad and i can't get over it well you have this feeling of the james bond movies did that to me too when i saw them early on because here's this guy that's just unapologetically a killer and unapologetically a fornicator. Yeah. And the movies are asking you to enjoy that. Enjoy that. And I just remember this there's this weird tug of war that happened where it's like, am I going to adjust myself to the movies or are the movies going to just adjust myself to me? Because if I want to enjoy this thing that everyone else is enjoying, I mean I know this is a simple thing to talk about, but it's just Yeah. When you're 11 or 12 or or that age it's like it can be kind of a profound struggle you know you're you're not actually lord willing in the position where you have to struggle with things like having adultery or you know actually fornicating so the big struggles of your life are things like am i going to be conformed to this movie or is this movie going to be conformed to me and i 100 percent chose to be conformed to the movie i mean i did not make the right choice i decided like if this is what people like if this is what's entertaining then I'm going to learn to be entertained like everybody else to like it because I don't want to be weird, weird, but I wish that I would have, would have had a, a, a dad like you, Jake, who would have <laughs> said, you know, you don't have to like it. And my dad sort of did, but he was always more like, he didn't like movies. He thought that they were kind of trashy and we were supposed to feel guilty about even turning on star Wars because we could be, you know, reading our Bibles or something. So it was kind of like in making them, not to throw my dad under the bus, but it was just sort of like in making everything bad, it was just like, well, I mean, I don't think I didn't process it. I didn't articulate it like this, but it was kind of like, I know it's not all bad. So mm-hmm. that's that, that, that point, that fence is kind of just invalidated. And so then it's like, you're left to figure out what's actually good and bad. Whereas I think maybe if he'd said mm, movies are fun and we like movies and, but also like, here's why you didn't like this one yeah it might have been more helpful i don't know i don't know i'm not a father myself so maybe i should shut my mouth but <laughs> um i can only talk from my own experience and yeah. say it's, it's interesting to observe yours and peter's i'm glad he has a conscience about it it's always yeah, me too it's interesting to see some kids have uh different consciences don't they absolutely they do. some of them are really bothered by things that other ones of them would just never think of same upbringing yep. same materials to work with yep some of in those same kids that are really bothered by some things swallow completely different things without thinking about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's a weird old world. Anything else to say about that? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so either. You know what I think also might be a little sad. Was that? Is I think that that stuff from earlier that we were talking about, I think that there's a sense in which, anybody any of the avengers have the potential in the lives of my kids to be sort of like what will smith was mm-hmm. for us and i i think that this movie really put a <clears throat> yeah on chris hemsworth yep for peter which mm-hmm. the rest of them won't ever see it but right unless they get to be 20 and try to get into retro movies and have really poor taste and, and, <laughs> yeah have poor taste and decide they're going to do the, the old men in black series and uh, poor taste a lot of time on their hands and uh or if for some reason this whole i mean they were trying to set up this whole like world of you know where they could presumably bring will smith back if they wanted to yeah i really wanted a cameo and kind of wondered if there wouldn't be one yeah but there wasn't so for some reason they like 
greenlit Men in Black International 2 or something. They won't. They'll they'll try and reboot it again money, in money, a couple money. years because they can't just let IP die and come up with new IP. That's intellectual property for those of you that don't know what IP is. <sighs> well, Jake, yes. what did you would you recommend? Nope. Yeah. I, I mean, it, if you and your wife enjoyed Men in Black when you were kids or whatever, and this movie ever hits Netflix and it's a Friday night and you also like Thor Ragnarok and you think, I'm interested in a dumb, fun movie, mm-hmm. then eh, depending on what else is available, this might be worth clicking on. <laughs> Put that on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't... I. I enjoyed it well enough. I wasn't bored. I wasn't sad to be there. But yeah, I, I also I, wasn't like I would ever watch this movie ever again. I found it to be a pleasant experience. I wasn't actively resenting it. I wasn't bored. I, I enjoyed it. I didn't laugh. Nobody laughed in the theater. It wasn't funny, really. Oh, but Really? Um, well, my theater, people it, laughed. They laughed at a little bit of it, maybe. Camille, Camille Nanjiani, I, I think, got some laughs. I had, I had laughers in my theater. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of laughers, and I I thought there was some there's some fun dialogue and stuff. It was certainly it had that little extra effort that I like to see. Um, felt mm-hmm. like felt like at least on a level of they didn't they didn't write a coherent story, but on the on an individual scene level, it felt like they were trying. Yeah, which really that's the that's that's the difference between this and Aladdin for me is that, and that's that's why I like the one and don't like the other. Even though Aladdin objectively probably is a much better movie, it is, but probably. 100% certainty. Aladdin, if it is a better movie, just kind of fell into it in an idiotic fashion. <laughs> <laughs> it's just working with such a stronger brand that even doing a bad version of a stronger brand made something that people like better and that is more resonant. But this, working with a crappy conceit that has completely had the life drained out of it, eh, had a little wit and charm to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. Uh, it comes down on a Saturday or if you really feel like you need a Men in Black sequel, I'd say, why not? Don't wear out your shoes running run, run to the theater. Um, Tessa Thompson got to turn down the noisy cricket. No muss, no fuss. She did turn down the noisy cricket. And they just gave her a better gun. Yeah. You know. She was only probationary. Eh, not to open up a whole new can of worms, we should be done. But it's that Harry Potter syndrome that I really hate where people just don't know how to write dads and they don't know how to write authority structures and they don't know. They don't know how to make heroes have to earn it. It's yeah. Harry, Harry Potter never had to earn it. He was always just cool. And we always expected that what he wanted to do is right. And basically his authority figures like Dumbledore expected that what Harry, and so you just never had the scene as we've talked about many times where, where Harry, where Harry was just told like, you need to grow up kid. And You're you wrong. To... And people are dead because of you. Right. And this movie and a lot of movies, Marvel, I think often has the same syndrome. The most, the best counterexample is Peter getting in trouble for Absolutely. screwing everything else. And that's one of the best scenes from the whole MCU. But even there, even with Marvel, you still kind of have the feeling of... Or RDJ letting Cap have it. Yeah, those are the two. Basically, Robert (laughs) Robert Downey Jr. is the one person who's allowed to discipline anybody. Right. And it's because he's had this arc where he comes from being a complete selfish loser kind of... Yeah, and it's just trying to complete that. And as he does it, he says things like, I sound like my dad. You know, even there we're kind of winking at... himself, yeah. You know, like he can't really do it. So this movie has that same syndrome where it's like Tessa Thompson's just cool and basically with a little bit of preamble everyone just needs to get on board with validating her for being awesome which is again another obvious thing that you should just be aware of is that movies are all about you are awesome and we are validating you for being awesome as the audience that is 
entering into the audi- you know the audience surrogate character that's meant to be you you are being told you're great and everyone should listen to you what, what, what your children are being told if they see this movie is your teacher should give you good grades and if they don't it's probably because they're a stuffy authority figure that yep that doesn't want to give you good grades so i highly recommend men in black international <laughs> uh, <laughs> there you go. i very qualifiedly but the whole podcast is qualifying the fact that i kind of liked it i don't know my fiance's comment was she liked it she had fun with it she did not get enough scenes where there was a funny character that ended up being an alien like what she remembers from the old men in black movies is there's the creepy looking guy with the dog oh it's the dog that's the alien like yep. she loves that and this movie had maybe one or two attempts at that but not a lot not a lot of like what what happens when real when aliens try and hide themselves in real normal life like what kind they of zany... attach themselves to a person's face as a beard right and then the person will violently beat them that was a weird um yeah. not funny attempt stupid. to be funny it was really stupid the yeah just, conceit the... was retarded well okay i'll make one more small point ghostbusters men in black the original mo- movies what's hilarious about those movies is the interplay between the normal world and the fantastical world so the, there's the famous scene from ghostbusters where they go to the hotel and the first time that they discharge their proton plaques they they, they blow to smithereens this poor maid's um cart cart and ghostbusters is full of moments where those guys are acting like normal schlubby idiots like we see every day and yet they're catching ghosts and so it's funny men in black kind of the same thing men and will smith is like this street smart kind of character that we all NYPD or LAPD or NYPD cop yeah and he's a type that we all recognize from life and he's like constantly being surprised by and making fun of the fact you know Tommy Lee Jones says, do you know what a Zorgon dead by dead? And he says, I think I saw that on Jeopardy just last night. You know, yeah, there's constantly yeah. little throwaway lines like that where Will Smith's acknowledging like, this is really weird and fantastical. And the interplay between the fantastic and the normal, the mundane is... Provides caused- us with comedic tension. Right. <laughs> now, movie, this movie, none of that because we're just a, pretty much immediately... We're acclimated to the world. Yeah, we're just in a fantastical world. And that's why you sometimes can't do sequels to these movies because the whole point is getting acclimated to the world that's the fun and so yeah you get to like be will smith be along for the ride as you get opened up right to the idea that aliens have been among us and you know that's like the joke was hilarious when it was like michael jackson's on the screen and And they tried to do one of those in this one it was elon musk and donald glover right yeah maybe ariana grande or somebody else too there was a girl too i thought maybe there was Um, i I don't just like donald glover cameo yeah, I mean, always, if you want to be boring. Oh, no, that makes a lot of sense. Good line. Uh, well, here, here's here's a hack joke that they could have done. Trump. Hey, yeah, it's I'm hack, but didn't do I, that. I'm, I'm just saying that hack joke is stronger than it would have been stronger. The lame You're right, throwaway. it would have been stronger, but it was. Oh, no, no, I'm, not, I'm not glad that they did that, but I don't know who you do actually for that. Here's an idea. Just don't do a Men in Black movie because we've already burned the Rodman. Yep. What's the what's the line from the original? Just like not much of a disguise. Yeah. Um. Which was funny, because Dennis Rodman was Elvis, a really famous he's weirdo. He's not dead. He just went home. Yep, yep. <sighs> but that movie was all about being acclimated to the world. It was all about the tension between a new guy that wasn't part of the world becoming part of the world. You can't really do that twice. Ghostbusters, same thing. The whole point is that there are these schlubby guys that are becoming Ghostbusters. Once they're established as Ghostbusters, there's no movie. Yep. That's, that's why Ghostbusters 2 is kind of 
not that great because it's like, what would it be like to be a Ghostbuster? That's not actually an interesting question. An interesting <laughs> question is what would it be like to become a Ghostbuster? Well, what would it be like to be a Ghostbuster who is possessed by an ancient painting of Vigo the Carpathian? So now we've entered into pure fantasy and pure fantasy can be good, but I'll tell you what pure fantasy isn't funny because it's not relatable. It's not every day. It's not yeah. the things that we deal with in our regular life. And so that's why Ghostbusters 2, if you ever wondered, because it feels like Ghostbusters 2 is trying really hard to be funny. Why, why do I not laugh at Ghostbusters 2 the way that I do at Ghostbusters 1? It's because there's a central comedic conceit at the core of Ghostbusters 1 that isn't at Ghostbusters 2. And there's your lesson about story construction. But you could do a Ghostbusters 3 where it is old, retired, schlubby guys in a world where there is no need for Ghostbusters having to figure out if they can become Ghostbusters again. And the comedy doesn't come from the ghosts. It comes from old, retired, schlubby guys. We all know old, retired, schlubby guys. We all think it's funny. Old, retired, schlubby guys. See what what we're saying, folks. Bill Murray have it, trying to convince Bill Murray to become a Ghostbuster again. Right. Dan Aykroyd trying to convince Bill Murray to become a Ghostbuster again for a whole act of a movie. And then Bill Murray finally like slipping back into that role by the end of act two or at whatever. Like mm-hmm. that's a lot of, there's a lot of comedy gold to be mined right there. Right. And I can almost inevitably tell you that the third act of that movie is worse because it's just a big special effects light show and, they're firing ray guns at things. But the first act where they go to try and get Bill Murray, that could be really funny. Yep. Maybe they'd have a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man up their sleeve, but there's only so many of those you can do. <laughs> That's why you should only make one Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Creativity is dead, and nobody understands story structure except for me and J.J. Abrams and Jake. Hence why this episode... Men in Black International is the ultimate episode in the Warhorn Ouvoir. That's right. That's what, that's the big twist that we've been re- building up to is the fact that only we understand story structure. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. Be back uh, hopefully the week after next with our second part of New Hope. We need to get on that. We got a lot of Star Wars to get through before Episode Nine comes out. So yep, maybe we'll even slip in some some in betweeners there, folks, depending on what our schedules like. But we're pretty busy these we're days. Gonna, yeah, we're gonna try to get. I think we're going to have to try to get you far from home, but uh, it may be a little late just because of scheduling. I'm on vacation that week. and Yeah, we'll get it, though, because Marvel's, Marvel's our beat. Yeah, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to tell us a lot of things about where Marvel's headed. And whether we're even interested in tracking it further. Going with them. All right, thanks for listening, folks. Written, produced, and executive produced by uh, me many of those things jake at least one of those things also wrote and performed it though improvisational manner and until next time the universe has a way of leading you to the place right to the place how does that go i don't know fornicate you could just say fornicate (laughs) fornicate